if you give it a go make sure that you carry the scottish flag with you definitely got to represent hello and welcome to this week on planet internet a hacker noon podcast i'm your guest host today david smook and i'm joined by the real podcast host amy tom hello amy oh hello and the man the myth the legend the inventor of the free internet plugin guy he goes by one name like share not bad very good you, what time is it for you it is just 5 p.m pretty mid-afternoon i like it cool working late great so today we're going to talk about lots of cool stuff that's going on the internet and we're going to talk about next door filing to go public another social network out there we're going to talk about quentin tarantino repurposing his content we're going to talk about users owning their own content and or use, owning their own platforms excuse me, as well as losing 1.8 million dollars so that sounds like a lot of fun uh, so the first story today is about Nextdoor, and they have filed to go public. They did so using something called a special purpose acquisition company. So basically, Koshla Ventures, if I'm saying that, they are backing the deal, so they're putting in the initial money to go public. And what a special purpose, excuse me, I messed it up. It's a special purpose acquisition channel. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's a company with no commercial operations formed solely to raise capital so that they can get a backing and have an initial amount in the pool before going public and talking to other investors. So I watched a video interview here with why they're doing it this way. And they compare Nextdoor to LinkedIn and saying, hey, a vertical market network like LinkedIn um, is, is justifying the valuation here because they're valuing even though Nextdoor only made last year, their revenue was reported 123 million and they lost 75 million. So they're not profitable. They're only making 123 million a year and they're valuing at 4.3 billion. LinkedIn sold for about 25 billion. And they're also citing different, basically that Nextdoor as a social network for your neighborhood has online and offline benefits where you are actually interacting with your neighbors more in person because of the online network where a lot of the criticism of other social networks is the news feed of doom and they're really making your real life worse uh, next door is trying to position itself as making your real life better and so the but as Reuters writes, the competition extends to Nextdoor's revenue providers. Uh, comparing to Facebook, roughly 55 to 65% of Facebook's 84 billion in advertising revenue comes from small businesses. Nextdoor is growing faster. Its top line increased 49% year over year, but it's still this elephant of the room of trying to compete with Facebook. And Facebook launched something called Neighborhoods as an absolute direct competitor of trying to go after and squash Nextdoor. What do you think, Amy? What's going to happen to Nextdoor in this public offering? I think that's interesting. I, I apparently they have two hundred and seventy-five thousand neighborhoods that they're already in right now worldwide. They have neighborhoods in the U.S. and in Canada and in other countries as well. But I've never heard of it. And to be honest, I don't think that I would use it in 
the setting that I live in a suburban neighborhood right now but I can see if I lived it was living in an apartment again how I might like to do that because like in the apartment it's really difficult I think to meet people and you're like always in the elevator with them but in the suburbs I still talk to my neighbors in like a friendly kind of like way but I don't And I think a lot of the people in my neighborhood are quite a bit older too. So I think it would be cool to implement in like a young, hip city in an apartment building. But, and I can see a use case for that. And I've never used neighborhoods either in Facebook, Facebook's native app for that. But yeah, I don't know. Cool. I've used it before, but I don't use it now. I used it when I was in a city when I was younger and it was nice, like, for like robberies, <laughs> like, hey, who got robbed around the corner or like where the robberies are happening or like checking in with different things. Guy, have you used Nextdoor before? Not heard of them, I can't lie. It's, it's quite a cool concept though. I might check them out. Yeah, I they were saying that it was like the Facebook of, it was like a Facebook, but for specific to certain areas, which I thought was interesting. and. I guess I don't really understand, though, why they did it as a special purpose acquisition company instead of just going through a regular IPO, you know? I think it's more control over the price because they're basically saying, hey, instead of going to investors and trying to go from zero to however many hundreds of millions they want, they're saying, hey, we already have 270 million in valued at 4.3 billion. Let's match that or, or however much more they want above 270. So it's something you would do if you were confident the demand was super high, you wouldn't need the special uh, purpose, whatever. If you were confident, you would just be oh, able right. to need it and continue as this company. So I think it's a way to reduce risk and get, and then the top investors get their set things and they're all good with it and they back it and they try and get other people to follow. Yeah. I think it's just a way to reduce risk of having an IPO that falls flat on its face without enough demand. Who are the investors? Uh, This is the main guy here. Koshla, Koshla. I've actually, I published, we've published him before once upon a time or his company. Here they are, Koshla Ventures. And they've done some, they're, they're known as being a little more, not as driven by the numbers and a little more by the story. It's the impression I get from them. I mean, I think like taking on Facebook is a bold move. And now this guy is going to be the lead investor of next door is better for local neighborhoods than Facebook. So I, I think it's all like good for the market. It's good for Facebook to have more competitors. And I, I really like vertical market networks that aren't Facebook. Like why not join a social network just for this or just for that, as opposed to saying Facebook is your social network and identity. That's true. I guess it's just harder to gain new users, right? Yeah. To convince people that they should download another app or use an, make another account that's not a Facebook account when they could be using Facebook. I guess what's the point? I've had, I've struggled with that too, but in a WhatsApp to Signal kind of sense, in the ter- sense I would love to move over to Signal, but to convince everybody to move over to Signal is the challenge. And so that's why I haven't like fully moved over yet because my friends haven't moved over. So I guess if they can find a way to convince a lot of people to move over, then yeah, great. Let's do a little side note here on their competition. Did everyone see uh, Mark Zuckerberg on the 4th of July? No, but I saw this article. (laughs) So question, this is the title of the article um, on a site called Beach Grit. 
Facebook.com. Did Facebook founder and CEO Mark Zuckerberg single-handedly destroy both foiling, both foiling and America in one fell swoop? Guy, what's your take on this? That thing he's writing, like he's surprisingly good at it, to be fair to him. It looks pretty and difficult to American do what he's. Rifle? Yeah, exactly. No, but the actual surfboard thing. Especially for Big Zuck, it's pretty. It seems pretty physically challenging. Surprised he managed to get it going, but uh, there's a lot of rumors he's going to be running for president and some wacky stuff like that. I just kind of look at it satirically. I don't think it's going to go too far beyond just of a meme, like the sunscreen on the face thing that was around for a few weeks and then it died out. I think Zuck with American flags just going to be a Twitter meme and then fade away again. I had to look up what foiling was. Can you define it? Oh gosh, okay. It's, I don't even know. It's a surfboard, but powered by a motor or something. So you don't have to like do no, anything. No, it's, it's, not, it's not a motor. You just pump it and go up oh, and down, up and down. Oh, okay. It's like completely physical. <laughs> Who pumps it? So you pump it and then you ride it? You pump it I, with I, your you, feet? Have you, seen the, have you seen the videos of it? It's like a little fin underwater and then it just floats. There's no motors, but you just push your feet up and down and then it just rides the waves and keeps going. Have you done it? I, I don't think I could do it. I, I've not. Um, <laughs> so now let me ask you this, it. that you've seen Mark Zuckerberg with the American flag foiling. Will you try foiling or is it dead? I, I honestly want to give it a go. It looks quite fun, but All right. I've always thought it was above my kind of skill level in terms my my foot coordination is not the best. But if if, if you give it a go, Mark's make sure that you carry the Scottish flag with you. Oh, I would. Yeah, definitely got to represent. Well, that's your competition next door. That's what that's what's up to. So like, go to your I thought, I thought you meant that was Guy's competition. Mark Zuckerberg oh. is Guy's uh, foiling competition. <laughs> oh, that, that's, oh, that's not competition. Different leagues here. Oh, hi. It's your podcast host, your Hacker Noon editor, and your very best friend here to bring you some exciting news. Hacker Noon is hiring. So if you want to come work with me, head over to careers.hackernoon.com. We've got a few vacant positions for sales development reps and junior editor positions and i will just say this is the best job i've ever had i love working here hacker noon is the best so check it out at careers at hackernoon.com all right let's transition to pop culture quentin tarantino is deciding to write a novel based on his book based on his movie once upon a time in hollywood and this is on the site so this is a movie site, a little outside our norm here, but the Tarantino quote, uh, what he says about this, the novelization is what's interesting here of moving content through different forms. And the Tarantino quote is, to this day, I have a tremendous amount of affection for the genre. Genre. So as a movie novelization aficionado, of course, that's a thing, proud to announce Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as my contribution to this often marginalized yet beloved subgenre in literature. I'm also thrilled to further explore my characters and their world and the literary endeavor that they can hopefully sit alongside its cinematic counterpart. I brought this story up today because as content moves through different forms, it's interesting to think about how it trends or not, like blog posts versus newspaper. Blog posts used to be really shat on. Transcript versus podcast. Uh, 
podcast versus sitcom. There's like things where you can move characters around. And this story is by Kevin Mims on a site called, what, how do we say this? Quillette? Quillette. Quillette.com. Yeah. It has a lot of cool stuff here about basically moving around and how it's been a way to promote cross-promote content. And sometimes occasionally the book becomes better than the movie whenever you take these characters to a different uh, realm. Guy, what do you think of Tarantino's move here? Traditionally, it goes the other way from book to movie, like Hunger Games or something like that. It's quite, from a marketing point of view, it is a smart move since theatres won't be open for a while due to COVID. I saw it in, I like his kind of style in the scripts at least, and I've seen a few interviews apart from him being just wildly contrarian. He, he seems to have like a very unique style. Someone called him functionally illiterate before, so I think, and when he wrote the scripts, it, he wrote it all phonetically so he wrote it as you'd say it instead of how it's actually spelled so i, I do feel sorry for the editor that it'll have to go through <laughs> as well as filtering out the kind of n-bombs throughout it i would imagine is that um, true though or is that one of those rumors could he really I'm, be- I'm, I'm pretty sure he's that's someone called him functionally illiterate and the first draft of the script was completely phonetic um so editor's got a big job on his hands um, but I'm he's, currently he's a... googling Tarantino <laughs> functionally illiterate. <laughs> it has only two misspellings. Maybe I'm functionally illiterate. Yeah, someone said it. Her name is Linda Chen. His handwriting is atrocious. Atrocious. <laughs> I was averaging nine thousand grammatical errors <laughs> per page, and I would correct them, and he would try to put back the errors because he liked them. 2013 Vanity Fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Same. That just adds a whole new depth to the. It'll it'll be challenging to read in a different sense, but uh, he's a very passionate guy. He talks about his films like most people talk about their children, so I, I think he'll put a lot of effort into it. I'm quite excited for it. I'm, I've, rumor has it it started off as a novel and then he turned it into a film. So I'm not sure if he's going to pick up where he left off. Interesting. Or if it's just, yeah. It's probably easier to get readers, right? If you always make movies, if you make the movie first and then you make a book, you'll probably get more readers for your book. I think it's a lot easier to get a movie off the ground than it is a book. Yeah. If if Uh, that's what you've made before, like anyone will just give him a hundred million dollars to make whatever. Like if he just wants the money to make a movie, he can just get it. (laughs) Wants to get his book on every bookshelf in the world. I don't know if they'll do that. He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) What do you think, Amy? Are you buying this book? Uh, no, definitely not. I'm not pro novelization. I think it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's not an author. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel like I take my literature very seriously, and I don't really, in general, blanket statement like books that are related to movies or books that like definitely don't like the movie after it's been turned into I, I don't like the movie after it's been based off of a book and so I don't think that I would like the book based off of the movie so yeah no I'm not buying and I am not interested in this quote unquote beloved subgenre of literature <laughs> I'm buying it. Uh, I'm in. Give me the Tarantino characters. You want to give me more content about them? I'll read it. I'll watch it. <laughs> Whatever you feel like giving me, I'll, I'll consume it. I'm all in. All right. I Six guess you'll just have to know. You'll just have to remember that the book was almost entirely written by an editor, apparently. 
<laughs> All right, that brings us to very smooth, not transition. Let users own the companies they build. So this is an article in Wired by a professor, a couple of college professors, one of them being a Hacker Noon shareholder. And the article starts out by bringing up this old campaign where Twitter tried to file a petition, or no, Twitter users tried to file a petition that Twitter should be owned by the users. And that really didn't get anywhere in 2016, 2017. But I remember when it happened, I was like, this is really cool. And the webpage is still up and you can see it nice and simple thing of saying, hey, we're the reason, all these words are our words and we're the reason this works, so why can't we own it? And then it got a little more complicated in the sense of the gig economy rose. And then, and so they, the article goes through 2018 where Uber and Airbnb are trying to say, hey, we think all of our drivers should be able to buy stock or own stock at a reduced rate or have some sort of stock grants. Basically it ended up in legal limbo and it never happened and they ended up doing cash. But the idea is growing traction of the people growing the thing. How do you create them? How do you empower them to grow the thing more? You give them ownership. If they have ownership in the thing, they're going to grow it more. And at Hacker Noon, we get mentioned in this article for doing an equity crowdfunding campaign. And our equity crowdfunding campaign, 90% of the traffic to the page came directly from HackerNoon.com. So it's literally the people reading the site bought shares in Hacker Noon and they've helped grow it. They've, we've, they've led to hires, they've led to customers. Like we have this little army of people that believe in us and having our readers know that like this group of readers, if we grow, they grow. So it's been uh, useful for us and it's nice to be mentioned and wired here. And there's just a lot of, I'm trying to follow this more. How do we empower our users to own more of our company is something that I spend time thinking about. I'll pass it over to you, Amy. What is going on with users owning the companies they help build? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think in the case of Twitter, like you mentioned before, it doesn't really make sense because they don't need their users' money. But in a case with Hacker Noon or something of the like where we're just starting out and we need to get funding, then I think that makes a lot of sense for tech companies or just companies in general to get funding from their user base. And this is Kickstarter-esque vibes too, where if it was a product or something, people would be putting money into it before it's really even built. It's like buying into a concept because you believe in the product or the service as opposed to getting investment from uh, investment companies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interest of the investment, most venture capital firms, they make money when the company sells. The interest mm -hmm. isn't to make a sustainable thing that lasts forever and makes it better and better for the users forever. If the users own it, they want it to keep getting better. But if the venture capitalist owns it, they only get paid when the thing, when there's a liquidity event. So that incentive mm -hmm. is a little bit perverse about how funding works. Yeah. Do you think that for companies like Twitter or maybe Facebook, it's too late for the users to own that platform? No, it's happening right now, but the users are buying shares. They're buying shares in a public yeah. company and they're making money that way. Uh, so there is, some of it is happening. You, you, the overlap between someone who posts on Facebook every day and someone who owns Facebook stock, that's a pretty large group uh, of people. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to just buy it, but hey, if I give Facebook a million, 10 million views because I put my content there and I created 10 million minutes of time reading or whatever I've done, don't you think I deserve some stake? So there's, I think that argument it's a little legally tricky, and that's what this article gets at in the beginning, that like 
Airbnb and Uber essentially lost or decided like it's too much trouble and it's easier to just give them cash and we don't have to go through all these red hoops and red mm. tape or whatever. In the future, I think it could uh, be possible that it's it's just much easier to get have users hold shares or you, know, you look at some of these decentralized social networks, they're trying to get them to hold their own currencies and say, hey, you have your own currency and when you contribute here, you earn currency. Uh, what do you think, Guy, coming from the younger generation here of like, when you're joining a social network, do you feel like you should own some of it? Or are you just, are you just accepting the user is the user and I, I just accept their term? I remember hearing ages ago that if you're not getting anything out of it, the user is the product. And so in Twitter and Facebook, you kind of, your data and your personality become the product of Twitter and Facebook rather than the user. But you mentioned the decentralized social medias. Like I remember reading about a new one called BitClout, which every user gets its own cryptocurrency associated with it. And then the more traffic and stuff to your page, the higher your value. And then people can invest in your personality and your page and make money and you get a certain percentage back. And I'll honestly, and yeah, and they just invited the top 500 people from Twitter and invited them and said, prove you're this person, advertise this on your account and we'll give you your BitCloud account. Elon Musk still hasn't accepted it, but he's the top one. So if he just accepts, he'll get like 50 million of his currency. Sorry. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's a really cool idea though. Is, is it just bringing another um, avenue for value in social media? It's like it incentivizes you to post there consistently and post high quality content because then you'll be benefiting yourself as well as others. Yeah, I talked I to the founder of one of their competitors and both of these companies and their site is idea market both the, one of the cool things about both of them is they're trading the coin before the person claims it so when the person yes. claims it they already they get money right away from claiming so they have yeah, a really that, powerful uh -huh. flywheel of saying hey literally if you just create the account you get paid on your first day here of the activity that's already happened on your coin so pretty clever really clever growth incentives to get the top influencers to create an account yeah, that's what I was meaning. They created an account for Elon Musk and he's not uh, advertised it yet, but when he do, he's got $50, 50 million waiting for him in his crypto. So. <laughs> Damn. You notice how the UI looks really similar to Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Should we move over to losing $1.8 million on Hacker Noon? Does that sound like a good one? This post is called How I Built a Million Dollar Algo Trading Strategy Then Lost It All. And it's written by, hopefully I say this right, Peregrine Buckler. And he is, his bio is Applying Novel Design Methods to Build Resilient and Evolutionary Algorithms at Dune Capital. And in this story, I'll read the intro here. On May 23rd, I awoke at 4.23 a.m. to perform my insomniac routine of checking my Binance trading account. Bitcoin had crashed as it so often does. This time was different, though. My 1.88 million was gone. I had made a mistake in my code, which caused my leverage trading algorithm to miss its stop loss, and I had been liquidated. So he lost all of his money from a coding mistake in his algorithm, his trading algorithm, which is uh, pretty sad. And he woke up early to find it, but he still lost it all, which is also makes it sadder. And he reaches the conclusion that he's going to build another one, <laughs> which is pretty good. That's the only but, logical way forward from that. 
<laughs> what do you think, guy? What should our Mr. Buckler friend do? Trading bots are notoriously hard to get right. By the sounds of it, it wasn't very automated. You're spending as much time looking at his screen as he would have been if he was just trading. But I guess it can be more precise in when you buy and sell and short. I'm, I'm not sure how well off this guy is if however much 1.8 billion million even was a massive hit to him. But I would, personally wouldn't trust putting a massive amount on a bot. I made. What's that say I mean, about the confidence? I don't think any, anyone's really, there's algorithms and bots selling for millions and I don't think they really outperform most people most of the time. So we're still got a long way to go in there, but credit to him for giving it a go. I, I even after that, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't go back, but how it said it was profitable. So it must've been doing okay. I was trading with 100% of my capital. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I want to read a an excerpt from the story because I was like, oh my god, I feel this so hard. And it was just so beautifully written. He said, so as that cool 1.88 million vanished in a flash, I re-narrated the everyday anxiety, the questions of purpose, the crippling self-doubt, social anxiety in a millisecond. It propelled me out of my body, flipped me facing... Flip me back facing myself. I pro how do you Pure pronounce wedded. this? Pirouetted a frozen <laughs> and a frozen with terror stranger. My slouch frames my my slouch frame, my arms side by side, gripping the duvet. I thought to myself, this is how it feels to die. <laughs> <laughs> The following month can only be described as someone who had actually died. Still, it was only money. Now a month wiser, a month poorer, and a month of mourning. I can finally tell my story. <laughs> so he has, like, really hit the bottom of the barrel. And he's, yeah, he's hit rock bottom with that message. And I was like, that crippling self-doubt and social anxiety. Wow, I feel that. <laughs> I love how the next paragraph is a guide on how to build a profitable trading bot after that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought to myself, this is how it feels to die. Anyways, on to my bot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I admire it. Get knocked down, yeah. right back up. He still has the confidence of, I made two million bucks. Or, I made a thing that could make trades that made about two million dollars. I don't know, I saw Chris Saka, the uh, Shark Tank dude talk about losing his first million like he made it then he lost it all then he made it again so i think there is something about these high risk people that they boom and bust like if he's re really willing to put all of his capital into this trading bot i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, last, the last time i came on here it was about a guy who maxed out all his credit cards and very much sold his house to invest in dogecoin and then made a couple million off that oh, so no. it does go both ways i guess uh, yeah I just bet, have to commit to it. I bet within three years, he has more than $1.88 million. And uh, so hopefully sure. this podcast reaches him and we'll have him on the podcast in three months, $8 million. <laughs> so that's where my hope's at. I'm, I'm rooting for this guy. I think it's brave to tell the story. Brett, I'm glad he brought it to Hacker Noon. And I, I think he's going to make his money back. That's my- I that's have faith. Business. You don't think? I'm praying for him. No, I have faith. I do have faith. He can do it. <laughs> Cool. And that's what, those are the four stories today for Planet Internet. I'm wondering if you guys have any products or tech tools that were on your mind. 
Yes, I just made a major tech investment that it's still coming in the and it's a Sony A7 Mark III. So very excited to try that out. No word on how it actually is yet because it's still coming, but I will update everybody later. It's a camera, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> Cool. What about you guys? New mechanical? No, still rocking the Ktron K1. It's been pretty, pretty good so far. Nothing broken. Had a few spillages on it, but it survived. Spillages. Uh, start, <laughs> started learning its article called Vim the other week, which is more than twice my age. But apparently that's what all the high-level elite programmers use, so I started using it. And there's a lot of good stuff on Hacker Noon. Every time I asked a question on Google, Hacker Noon was a top thing. So if you're looking to learn Vim, there's a lot of good content here. I'd definitely go check it out. Cool. What about you, and David? I don't really it's use David, technology. what about you? Yeah, <laughs> I don't really use technology per se. Um, no, yeah. you know what you got. I know oh, what you got. I do you have got... a recommendation. Okay. Oh. It's the dongle. Yes, I that's what I was going to say, the dongle. <laughs> when I switched computers, I couldn't use a microphone anymore because Apple cut out the USB. And then I realized I could get a dongle. So that's $20. I could show it to you, but if I do... USB-C AA to USB-C. I'll, I'll my microphone. Uh, <laughs> David finally has his microphone. Yep. <laughs> because microphone. of the dongle. I'm, I'm recording three podcasts in 16 hours. This is number two. Okay, this Good has luck. been this week on Planet Internet. Thank you, everyone, for listening on Hacker Noon. And bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>